Let me check. There we go. All right. Very good. Well, John chapter 15, if you'll take your Bibles and find that with me for just a moment. John chapter 15. We're in this series on hope, the anchor in our lives, all right? But before we really get into the sermon, I need to clear up something. There's kind of a rumor uh, going around me, uh, about me here at church, going around the church about me. And I, it's, uh, and I want to just kind of clear this up and in any any suspicion or uh, any concern about this rumor. And, and in some ways, I guess it's kind of, it, it could be a, really a, a fairly vicious rumor. Um, and, uh, and it does concern me because, you know, it always, it should concern you if something's going around about you that, um, you know, that maybe causes into question your character or something along those lines. So I really want to ask you to pay attention for a few moments here before we get in the sermon. And, and, um, and the rumor is this, the rumor is in my younger days, uh, that I actually used illegal steroids, um, and uh, and I and I can understand I can understand uh, the concern and the suspicion uh, because of my freakishly abnormal muscular physique, um, and and no doubt I'm wearing a suit today because I'm a little self conscious about it and I, the suit hides it well, and um, and 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 I just want to clear something up. All right now. Uh, bottom line is this, is I, I, I did not use in my younger days, in my youth, I did not, and I absolutely deny unequivocally that I ever used any illegal steroids in my youth, like human growth hormone or anything. You know, I know there's a lot of other famous athletes uh, out there that I could be indicted with, you know, Bonds and all these guys out there. You've seen it all on the news before, uh, you know, Armstrong and all these guys. And, uh, and I just want to clear up, I did not. I have never used any illegal steroids. However, however, in my youth, I did use a steroid. Um, I, need to, I, need to, I need to share this with you because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding here today uh, in case this goes out, in case there's any media here or this gets out in the news or anything. I just want to be very clear. I did use a steroid in my youth. Uh, I actually uh, had to use an inhaler for asthma as I was growing up, and it's a steroid. And uh, so I did use a steroid. And so I want you to know that. I want to share that with you because, see, in, in my younger days, there were times when I actually would, would, would battle asthma. And the doctor prescribed for me a steroid. And the way it simply would work is you take your inhaler and shake it up and, and uh, place it in your mouth and, and take a couple good puffs on this steroid and it would help my, the wheezing that I would experience to go away. Now let me just have a little side note here to make this especially applicable to the, some, of the, some of the teenage young men here. Guys, if you really want to impress a girl, man, you just get yourself one of these, you know, take, take it on a date with you, take a couple puffs on this thing. Man, I tell you what, work for me, all right, work for me. Now, now, here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand today. In our lives, in our lives, we cannot do what we need to do on our own. We just can't. In my life, in my life, when it comes to my spiritual life, there are days when left on my own, I literally am gasping for air. I really am. I don't know if you've ever been there. There are moments when it just seems that I'm, that I'm drowning in different issues. And the Lord Jesus understands this about us as people. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks to this. And one of the things I love about the Gospel of John 
is, uh, and I wanted to pick this one particular passage of scripture in this series on hope to talk with you today about, is because I think all of us need to know that in our lives, when we need hope, the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet our deepest needs. In fact, the Gospel of John, you know, if you want to look at the Gospel of John, you want to know what the Gospel of John's purpose is. At the end of the Gospel of John, the apostle, he actually tells us that, that, that he shares these signs and these miracles and the teachings of Jesus so that people would put their faith and their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would look to the Lord Jesus Christ as the answer to their deepest needs. And I think about two different ways, particularly, I think the, the Gospel of John is built. One is around what I would call the seven signs or, or, or seven miracles. And really, John says there were many other wondrous things Jesus did. There's just time and space only allowed for for him to capture these seven. For instance, Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus heals uh, the nobleman's son. He heals a lame man. He feeds, very famously, he feeds 5,000. He calms the storm. He opens blind eyes and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and I just want you to know today that, that, that you can bring your needs, you can, you can bring uh, your, your uh, whatever is going on in your life, your lack of, of, of ability. You can come to the Lord Jesus and understand this. Jesus is God's answer for our disappointments. He is our assurance for the doubts that we have like the nobleman had. He is the, he's the strength for my disabilities in my life just as he healed the lame man. He is, he is the satisfaction for my desires as Jesus fed the 5,000. He is the peace for the despair that could come into my life just as Jesus calmed that storm. He is the light in my darkness as Jesus opened the blind eyes. And really, even as we all would face even death itself, he is the author of life as, we, as you see there in raising Lazarus. So Jesus is the one who ultimately meets all of my needs. So if you want to have hope, if you want to know whom to put your faith and your trust in, whom to anchor your life in for hope, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then not only are there these miracles and these signs, but then John actually records how Jesus referred to himself in several places by saying things like, I am the bread, I am the light. I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And even when Jesus, when Jesus says, I am, I want you to know this, when Moses meets God, in the Old Testament, when Moses meets God, and Moses says, God, listen, whom do I tell Israel, who, who do I say sent me? Who do, I, who do I tell them is the one who's called me to this task? Who do I, who do I tell them is the one who has said that, that they're going to be set free? And God says, you tell them that I am sent you. Now, now just to be honest with you, to, to say I am, I am, well, that sounds like an incomplete sentence. Well, I am what? You know, you are what? And God, when he says I am, God is just saying, well, I am. You can just fill in the blank. I am all you need. I am the one who can meet your deepest needs. You don't, you don't need any other supplement in your life. I am the one for you. I can meet your needs. I'm the one to whom you ought to look to for hope. 
And then in John 15, we come to one of the last phrases where Jesus says, I am. And here Jesus says, I am the true vine. So John 15, I want to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I want to read you a portion of John 15. And in this passage of scripture, listen to what Jesus says. He starts off in verse 1 and he says, I am the true vine. Now let me just mark this for you. Now Jesus, this is right before his crucifixion. They've had the last supper. He's washed their feet. He's been talking with them. And now, Jesus, they're walking. And, and, and I can just picture that they would have walked through a vineyard, a great vineyard, and a garden. And Jesus was masterful at just taking objects in the settings and helping his followers to understand very clearly what he was wanting to teach them. And I can just imagine they're walking through this vineyard and this garden. He says, hey, I'm the true vine. Now, this would have meant a whole lot to these guys because most of all these guys, they were raised Jewish, all right? And, and they would have been familiar with Herod's temple. And, and if you could have looked at Herod's temple, you would have, you would have seen even on, on it, there is this massive, there's this massive uh, kind of statuette of a vine. Because you see, even Israel itself, Israel was referred to in Scripture as the vine. But now Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the true vine, all right? You may have thought that the source of peace and your future rested in the fact that you're Israelites, just like we could think, well, you know what? Our hope, our peace, our trust is the fact that we're Americans. We have the American dream. And I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm proud to be American, you know? Every time Lee Greenwood sings that, man, I start getting misty-eyed and teary-eyed. You know, I want to stand up, and I'm expecting fireworks to start firing off, all right? I'm proud to be American, but understand this. I can't put my spiritual faith and trust in, in being an American. It's much deeper than that. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the true vine. And then he says this, and my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, remain in me. Stay in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Ask. You hear that? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But then look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus says that he's the true vine, that the Father's the gardener, that we're the branches, and that we are to bear much fruit. And he says there in that last verse I read that when you bear fruit, you prove that you're his disciples. You see, listen, the fruit, the spiritual fruit in our lives is the proof that we're the disciples. It, it, it shows the evidence, folks, that Jesus is our Lord. You see, fruit is proof. Fruit is proof. So today, today, I want us to see that, listen, listen, Jesus is the one we must look to as the one who is the source, the power for the fruit 
spiritual fruit to be produced in our lives. Here's your hope message today. We have a hope because we don't have to try to be spiritual and to bear spiritual fruit in our own power. It's the Lord Jesus who does it in and through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, Lord. And God, thank you. Thank you that you are at work in our lives, that you desire to nurture us and grow us and, and to really grow through us, Lord, fruit that can be a testimony of your grace in this world. So, Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart to be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and be seated. So, over and over again here, Jesus talks about us bearing fruit. Now, first of all, what I want you to see is this, is I want you to see that, that, that it's a picture of looking for fruit. It's as if the gardener, the gardener is looking for fruit in my life. Now, God is pictured as the gardener. So, you see, it's important, it's important to God for my life to bear fruit, all right? It's to his glory, verse 8 says. He's glorified when there is fruit in my life. I mean, I mean, after all, I mean, what does a gardener have to be proud of unless, unless his garden is producing fruit, right? I mean, that is the evidence of his power and his majesty and his work. And really what you see in the Bible is there are several places where the scriptures describe our lives as, as, as needing to bear fruit and of being fruitful for the Lord. Let me just give you some examples. Just hold your place there over in Psalm chapter 1, in the very first Psalm. Psalm chapter 1, and I think it's verse 3. Psalm 1 verse 3, this is what the psalmist says. He says, he's talking about, he's talking about a righteous person. A person who, who seeks to follow the Lord. He says a righteous person, verse 3, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its what? Fruit. Its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So here where our spiritual life is described as being fruitful. So God is the gardener. His desire is, is to be able to see fruit in my life. Well, just you kind of go back from the New Testament over in the Gospel of Matthew. I can't help but think about Matthew 13. In this parable, Jesus gives what's called the parable of the sower. And he talks about how as a sower will cast seed, so it is the way God kind of tosses his word into our lives. But listen to the description in Matthew 13, verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they, didn't have, where they did not have much soil and immediately they, they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. They didn't have good roots. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, verse 8, and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, sixty, thirty. Even that word produce, I think about like if you go to the supermarket and, and, you know, and you want to look for the fruit in the vegetable section, right? You know, usually that's called the produce section. 
a friend of mine was a supermarket manager for a lot of his first half of his career. And, you know, he talked about, you know, you have a produce department, you have a produce manager. And the produce folks, their job is to make sure that the fruit and vegetables are on display. So if you go over here to the grocery store, next time you go and you go to the fruit and vegetable section, that's the produce section. Well, even in that word produce, you have the word production. It's, it's, it's the job, it's really the whole purpose of a, of, of a garden there, you know, to produce something. It's not just for looks, it is, it is to produce the fruit. It's to produce the fruit. And that's what God intends in our lives. That's why there's this looking for fruit. There's this mention over and over again in John 15 about fruit, all right? But there's an issue. There's an issue. I, have, I, 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 I seem to be unable to produce fruit on my own. In fact, you know, you, you read, for instance, the book of Romans in the New Testament, you'll find the Apostle Paul, it's almost like he's having this, this breakdown. He, he just begins to share very openly about his struggle to do what's right. He's like, you know, and I, 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 you know what, I, what I want to do and what I will to do, I don't do that. It's almost like, it's almost like he's just kind of going off and just talking to himself and just, you know, he's just kind of letting us get a look into his life and he's having all these struggles and I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know I have where it's like, man, you know, I know, God, I know this is the way I should be. But I don't seem to be that way. I don't seem to be having the fruitfulness in my life that you would want me to have. I'm not being fruitful in my relationships. I'm just not, I just don't really seem, God, to be fruitful in life. My life feels more barren than it feels fruitful. Well, just look at the first verse. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Well, see, as we're looking for fruit, we need to remember something. We need to remember who God is in this. God is the gardener, and who Jesus is. Jesus is the vine. And, 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 and what's our role? I'm the branch. It means I need, I have to just to admit, I need the constant care of the gardener. And as a branch, understand this, I'm dependent upon the vine. The vine's like the trunk. The vine's where the nourishment comes from for the branch. See, I, I need to remember something in my, in my life. Listen, uh, there is a God and I'm not him. See, so often I want to be the gardener of my own life. I want to be able to somehow figure out on my own how I can be the father, the husband, the son, the neighbor I need to be. I mean, why can't I just do this on my own? Men, you ever been there? Why, why can't I just gut this out? Why just can't I bear down and, and push through this? And God says, listen, 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 I want you to know I'm the gardener. There's a God and I'm not him. And hear, and, and hear me say this, there's a God and I need help. You see, listen, left to itself, a garden will end up in a state of disrepair. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever been somewhere where you've just seen a garden where there has not been a gardener for years? I was reading, I was reading a little bit about gardening. I'm not an expert on gardening at all. And you really cannot have a garden, this article said, unless you have a gardener. It's not a garden. 
You see, you see, you see, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the house where I live now. When we, when we first found this house, when we first moved into this house, man, the yard, the yard was a mess. It, it was like the yard, it was like the yard barely ever even saw a lawnmower. It was weed infested. It was overgrown. In fact, the first week we moved in, a friend of mine came over with a tractor just to cut this lawn because it was so overgrown and so thick and it gotten so tall. And I live in one of these neighborhoods where like, you know, they send you nasty letters if your yard doesn't look right. You know what I'm saying? And this yard, man, it needs some, it needed some serious TLC. And, and the reality is this, is the guy who lived there before me, man, he traveled all the time and he really pretty obviously, he just, the yard was not a priority for him. He just didn't care about it. But then you could look next door at John's yard and man, John's yard, the grass was, you know, it never got very, it never got very tall. There weren't weeds. It was cared for. It was meticulous. It was obvious that that yard had had a gardener, but mine hadn't. So see, I want you to understand something. As you look at your life and you're looking for fruit, I want you to hear me say something. Listen, listen, there is a God and you're not him. And there is a God and we all need help. I think about how God works in our lives. I think about in scripture how there were all these different people that sometimes we kind of put on a spiritual pedestal. And I want you to know, listen, listen, God took them, even though they had a lot of inadequacies in their lives, even though they had a lot of weeds in their lives, God still worked in and through them. I think about Abraham. You know, Abraham was old. God worked in his life. I think about Leah. (laughs) The Bible says Leah was unattractive. How'd you like that written in the Bible about you? You are ugly. It says unattractive. But God still worked through her. Moses stuttered. Moses stuttered. When we think of Moses, I don't know if you, this is an old movie, but, but I, can't, I always think of Charlton Heston. In, in, in that old movie, Ten Commandments. That's not the picture in scripture at all, Moses. Moses, Moses had to have someone help him just to speak. Elijah was depressed. Jeremiah, man, was over the top with stress. Jonah, cowardly. John the Baptist, eccentric to say the least, if you look at what he was wearing. Peter could be pretty impulsive. Martha, she worried a lot. Zacchaeus was dishonest, very unpopular. Thomas, man, he had his doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. These are all people that in one way or another, God showed up in their lives and worked in and through them, and they began to bear fruit for his glory. See, understand this, the strength, the strength of Jesus, the vine, begins to flow through me when I humbly, humbly acknowledge my weakness and recognize that he alone is my strength. Here's Philippians 4.13 in the Amplified Version. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me and am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Listen, listen, I'm a branch. That's what I am. My role is to stay connected to the vine and I have a gardener who's tending to me, all right? So that's, that's the first thing I want you to see is, is, is looking for fruit. God wants to see fruit in our lives. So how does it come about? What well, brings me to the second thought? Pruning for fruit. Pruning. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? Why are you pruning me, God, that you may bear more fruit? Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, but I'm going to prune you. And, and when I think of pruning, I can't help but think about my dad. My father is a phenomenal gardener. 
And I can remember, uh, especially growing up as a teenager, I can remember him coming into my room on Saturday mornings and he'd come in there and, he, and, he, and he'd shake me, wake me up, say, it's time to get up. You gotta come, we're, we're, it's time to do some yard work. And, and, he, and, and I'd have to go out in the back and this was evidently before uh, they had invented electricity, all right? And so, uh, and so I'd go back there with my dad and my dad was old school. And, and my, dad, my dad had these hedge trimmers and he'd go out there and he'd go on that back row of those hedges. In fact, if you went to their house today in Newport News and you went in the backyard, I mean, you would see that back hedge row is just meticulously trimmed, all right? And the front, the bushes are shaped. And my father, he'd take, he'd take these trimmers and he'd go, he'd go in there and he'd, just, he'd begin to just shape them and shape them. He'd turn it over like this and he'd shape it like that, you know? And, and I'd watch him and he was just such meticulous care. And, and my, my dad's an engineer by, by training, and so he's very meticulous, and there was always a purpose behind his pruning. And he would work on those bushes and he would shape them. And he would even do this. The, you know, he, he, would take, he would take the trimmers and he would edge. He would edge the yard like this. And I would sit there as a 12 and 13 and think, this man has lost his mind. What is he doing? And now that, I, now that I'm grown, he's discovered electricity, all right? And he has power machines and he does it all, you know, and... And he was training me up, I guess. Man, he, he, he would prune. He, he's been to our house, obviously. And he, he saw, we had, we had some bushes in the front. And they were, they were kind of big and overgrown and kind of had a lot of bare spots. He said, he said to me one day, he said, son, what you need to do? He said, you need to cut those bushes way back. I, he said, I know. He says, you're going to think you're killing them. He said, no. He said, you, look, this, you can't kill this kind of bush, all right? So he just cut it way on back. He says, you'll be surprised. He says, what's going to happen is because you prune it, it's going to come back, man. And it's going to be full. It's going to be healthy. And you're going to have a beautiful bush. All you have to do is prune it back. I did it. And I want you to know, man, he was right. I've, I've got these bushes now in the front. They're filled in. There's no more gaps. There's no more space. They've got all kinds of foliage on them. Beautiful, all because of pruning. So understand this. Pruning in my life by the gardener is purposeful. God is shaping my life. God is molding me in to make me more like Christ. But, but understand this, pruning can be painful. Pruning can be painful. I told my kids the other night, I said, you know what? I said, if bushes had feelings, do you think pruning them would be painful? Doesn't it look like it would hurt? I mean, you're just, you're just chopping on them, chopping on them, chopping on them. They're just sitting there. They're just taking it patiently, aren't they, those bushes? And you're just trimming them. And you say, that sounds kind of silly. What, what makes you think if a, if, 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 if a bush cared, it, it would mind you pruning it? It's because I got a 13-year-old boy and I've given him a haircut. <laughs> Every now I say, son, come on, come on. Evidently, you, you, you did not make your point with the, with, with, with the pretty lady that you like to have cut your hair. So guess who's cutting your hair? Come on, I get the power trimmers out and I set them down and he's grumbling and he's begging, not too short, not too short. And I'm, you know, you know, and I'm like, there we go. And I'm just having a big time, man. I'm just cutting him back and you know here's the deal I cut that boy's hair back it just keeps growing it keeps growing but sometimes when God wants to prune in my life I complain about it and I don't seem to like it understand this there's some ways God prunes in your life he prunes through the truth he prunes through the word of God. It, 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 it's, it's called a sharp two-edged sword and it can cut in life sometimes it comforts sometimes it convicts but it prunes all right and so the word of God prunes in my life. Life circumstances prune my life. Not only truth, but trouble can prune my life. It's been said that often we learn more in the schoolroom of suffering than in the playroom of prosperity. 
think it was Lewis that said that it's in our pain that God shouts to us the loudest. Just think about this for a minute. If you and I, if human beings live their whole life without, without ever, ever experiencing or ever even witnessing sickness or suffering or any kind of pain, do you think it would ever, ever occur to us that we need God? I mean, I've been to funerals, I've preached funerals, I've been sick, I've seen sickness, I've seen the, you know, you, the news, I mean, all this stuff that can concern us. Well, what if, just what if, what if life from the time you were born until you died at a right old, ripe old age, what if in life it was almost like this constant trip to an amusement park or on a cruise ship or just a vacation? You know what, I, I, think, I think very few of us would ever, ever really come to see our need for the Lord. So you see, God actually takes scripture, he takes circumstances, and he uses that to show us that without him, my life would be out of control. My life would be overgrown with all kinds of weeds and my life would not make any sense. But instead, God prunes in my life and he shapes me and he begins to, he, he begins to grow within me and from me the fruit of his spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as Galatians 5 tells us pruning for fruit but then but then look at this word in ver- this word in verse 4 he uses this word abide jesus says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine now he zeroes in and he's not talking about the gardener as much pruning as, as now he's the vine and i need to abide in him So you see, there's this looking for fruit, there's pruning for fruit. Now he says there needs to be abiding for fruit. And what does that mean? What does it mean to abide? Well, abiding is the idea of of, of remaining, of, of staying still, of being at home. We get the word abode from that, a home. We're to be at home in Jesus. Jesus is to be where we rest, where we trust, where we stay, where we're connected. And Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen, obviously. He was getting ready to go to his crucifixion. The disciples were going to see the unspeakable happen to Jesus. And they were going to have all kinds of questions and doubts and worries and despair and discouragement. And they were going to fear death itself. And all of a sudden, the last message, really, Jesus gives to them, out of all these powerful statements of who he is, is he says, I want you to remember, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. You need to stay in me. You got to remain in me. Listen, when they beat me, when they nail me to a tree, I want you to abide. When when you watch me die, you need to abide. When they come after you, you abide. All right? When you face persecution because you're my follower, you need to abide in me. When your portfolio takes a tumble, you need to abide in me. When your car breaks down and nothing seems to be going right, you need to abide in me. All right? Listen, when your spouse disappoints you, when your child breaks your heart, when you lose your job, when people make fun of you because of what you believe and where you worship, you abide in me. Now, here's an issue with the word abide. It doesn't really seem to have a lot of punch for me. I mean, Jesus, why don't you have something a little bit more snappy, like three points in a poem, like suck it up, stick it out, start today. Give give me something kind of catchy like that, you know? I mean, give me something we can put on a bumper sticker. I can put t-shirts, you make t-shirts. Give me something 
Because see, here as a guy especially, and ladies, you may be wired this way too, but I know men are for sure. So often as men, it's like, I want to fix this. I'm going to get my hands around this and I'm going to make something of myself. And Jesus says, listen, when it comes to spiritual fruit, that's not how it works. You see, I focus so often, I want to focus on production in my life, don't I? And Jesus says, I'm actually focused not on, your, on, not on you being in production. I want to focus on your connection. Your connection. I'm the vine and you're the branch. And the branch bears the fruit. The vine is the source of the fruit being produced. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Because listen, it's because of the vine being the source of, of the fruit being produced. That means the vine gets the glory, doesn't it? Because it's the gardener who does the pruning, that means he gets the glory or else, or else, guess what? It's my show. I'm producing the fruit. But Jesus says, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to end up being very frustrated. Oh, yeah, you, you, you might be able to press out a little bit of fruit, but you're not going to produce the abundance of fruit that I have planned for you unless you understand it's abiding in me. It's abiding in me. It's abiding in me. So you see, really, in my life, I have to understand that I, I need God to prune my life. My role is to abide in Jesus, to focus on my connection to Jesus, and then to know the production will happen, all right? The production will happen. And then, and then... I go from looking for fruit, from God pruning for fruit and abiding for fruit to enjoying the fruit. That's really what the rest of the, really the rest of this section is about. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father's loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I mean, what's the point of fruit? It's to enjoy it. It's to enjoy it. All of a sudden now, my prayer life is empowered. That's what he says here, ask. My prayer life's now empowered. God is glorified through my life. All of a sudden, love begins to fill my life and joy is experienced in my life. Those are all ways we enjoy the fruit. Because you see, the fruit is the proof. The fruit is the proof. So I ask you a question today. Do, Do you understand your role in the garden? Your role in the garden. God's the gardener. Jesus is the branch who is the source of life. God, God will prune me sometimes as the gardener. My, my role is to abide in the vine, to be connected to the vine, and then the vine produces the fruit in my life. And as a branch, then I bear the fruit. So, so what's my response? You say, Brian, what do I do? Well, what you do is, is the point Jesus is making is, is what his point has been all along. Ever since the first garden, ever since Adam and Eve, trust God in your life. 
Know he has your best interest at heart and stay connected to him. Have that relationship with him. That's what he's wanted all along. But what we'll do is we'll have more a form of religion than really relationship. I know sometimes it's discipline. Sometimes it's pruning. Sometimes I don't feel like coming to God's word. Sometimes I don't feel like going through trouble. But it's understanding my role. My role is to surrender myself to the Lord and to have my connection to him. So, you know, when I open the scripture, I'm not on my own trying to to produce spiritual fruit. No, I'm trusting that the Lord is going to work through his word to produce the fruit in my life. See, my, my role is connection, not production. Are you, how are you in your connection with the Lord? Are you connected to him? Have you said, Lord, I, I get this. I, you're God, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just going to try to surrender myself to you, Lord, best, best as I can. You come to the scripture. Let the Bible be the water to your soul. Let it fertilize your life. Let it nourish your life. That's why we read it. That's why we come to it, not out of religious pursuit, but out of the relationship because it connects us to him. He uses it to prune us. You go through suffering, you go through hardship. Now you look at it and you realize, wow, God, you have a purpose behind this. It's not just a bad day. You're, you're gonna grow me through this, God. I'm confident you're the gardener. You're the gardener, I'm your branch. So I wanna ask you today, I wanna ask you today on this Sunday morning, have you just said, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I get it. I, I wanna yield myself to you. I will be your branch. You know, it's funny thing about this inhaler. The inhaler, it, it, it wears off after a while. In fact, this particular inhaler, this steroid even has an expiration date. But here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus has no expiration date. Has no expiration date. So I ask you today, instead of wheezing through life, instead of gasping for breath in in this life, instead of going through this life with different weeds in your life, isn't it time for us to say, oh Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. So listen, when you, when you come to the scripture, you understand it's not religion, it's relationship. It's relationship. God's the gardener. Jesus is that vine that sustains us. I'm the branch. Stand with me and bow in prayer if you would, please. So we get ready to bow our heads. Reflect upon this. I wanna ask you right now, listen, if you're here today and you've just never said, Lord Jesus, I wanna put my faith and trust in you. I'm tired of trying to gut out life on my own tired, Lord, weary, worn out trying to be the best whatever. God, help me. Won't you just come today and just share with Joe or myself that you just want to put your faith, your trust in Jesus. They just want to come and kneel here at the altar and just talk to Lord Jesus and just say, oh, Lord Jesus, fill me, Lord. Nourish me. Water my soul. I pray right now, Lord, as we read the scriptures, as we go through tough times, God, that you'll help us to see your purpose in it. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you patiently are at work in our lives. And that ever since the first garden, Lord, you've just wanted us to not try to be our own God. You've wanted us to follow you, to trust you, to love you, and to realize how much you love us. You didn't need us. You wanted us, Lord. You wanted us. And God, I pray that we'll realize that you offer us this priceless relationship. So Lord, restore our connection with you today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're welcome to come as we sing this song. You may want information about joining this particular church. We'll help you with that too. You come as we sing.